Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. Bullshit. Bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! <laughs> Welcome back to uh, the Bullshit Filter episode 2, uh, or 1.2, I'm not exactly sh- not sure of my not <laughs> numbering conventions, uh, <laughs> my name is Cameron Riley. With me is my podcast wife, Ray Harris. How are you today, mm-hmm. buddy? You feeling better today, buddy? I I went to bed and I slept. I feel rejuvenated and I feel a lot better. I think this is 1.2, if I remember mm. from, I think. Yeah, 1.2. I don't know what the one refers to and why it's 1.2. It just, I typed, well, yeah. Well, here's what I think. I think like as long as we do Syria, it's 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, whatever. Mm. And when you get to your next subject, 2.1, 2.2, 2.3. Mm. So people will know where a series stops and starts. And that, that, See, that that makes a lot of sense. You you, you, under, you understand what I'm doing. When, right. Well, even, I've been in you, so I, I get you. Even when I don't. That's why you're my <laughs> podcast wife. Um, at the end of episode 1.1, uh, we were... Talking, we started talking about uh, Iran, a bit of the history of Iran, Persia slash Iran. Mm-hmm. I think we got up to the bit where uh, uh, Riza, uh, Riza the the second, uh, Muhammad Reza Pahlavi, became the Shah in 1941. His dad, who was uh, a general who coup d'etat himself into the role of the <laughs> king with the help of the British. Uh, had, you know, sort of ran afoul of the British and the Russians in World War II when he said, yeah, no, I don't really want you using my country as a transport corridor. So they said, well, you know what? You know, we, we really respect uh, right. The, the right of nations to choose their own, uh, you know, political position on this. And, and we really... We even got a charter for yeah, it. Yeah, we even wrote this thing called the Atlantic Charter, which says we respect self-determination of countries uh, unless uh, we don't like you. And then for right. what, what Atlantic Charter? So, yeah, so they forced him to abdicate in favour of... Yeah. Rizza the Younger, Rizza Junior, Rizza Rizza the Second, uh, Rizza the Minor, Minor Rizza, uh, Muhammad Reza Pahlavi, and uh, we'll we'll go on to talk more about what he did. But um, I wanted to uh, just mention uh, that in that was in nineteen forty one. In nineteen fifty, a major thing happened. Uh, the American-owned Arabian American Oil Company, or Aramco, as people may have heard it referred to, um, did a deal with the Saudis. Right. Uh, they agreed to share profits with the Saudi royal family on oil that they uh, extracted on a 50-50 basis. They gave them it's fair. Well, it's fairer than what the Iranians were getting from the British, which is sixteen percent, and even then it was fudged. So it was next, really next to nothing. Right. So the Iranians, of course, uh, went to the Brits and said, "Well, look, hey, you know the Saudis 
are getting 50 cents uh, in the dollar, 50% of the profits, uh, that's sort of market rates. We want the same thing. And, of course, the British being reasonable, uh, Mm -hmm. believing in fairness, uh, said, sure, sure, go fuck yourselves, (laughs) basically. Um, yeah, the Brit- the Brits basically told the Iranians to go fuck themselves. Yes, yes. I'm sure they used diplomatic language and they did it with the the uh, crisp uh, upper accent. Yeah. But fuck yourself, uh, nonetheless, is is what came out yeah, of their mouth. I say, old chap, go fuck yourself. <laughs> or as Churchill, and it just sounds better that way. <clears throat> I have to get into my Churchill persona here. Uh, I'm putting, <laughs> it. I'm Scout putting out. on a couple of hundred kilos. There you go. Never before in the history of men has one country told another to go fuck itself as much as we tell you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> it's too early in the morning to do Churchill. No, I have, no that was. I have to drink on. a lot more whiskey. Um, I understand. So, uh, in March of 1951, the Iranian parliament, the Majlis, voted to nationalise the AIOC, the Anglo-Iranian yeah. Oil Company, uh, and, you know, it didn't go down well with the, uh, right. with the British. Actually, before you, before you go on, can I give just a little bit of backstory to that? Uh, sure. Okay, just, just, just a little bit of backstory. So uh, in 1949, uh, there's an assassin, assassination attempt made on the Shah. Uh, nothing, nothing too intense, but it gives him a lot of sympathy from, from, the, uh, from the Iranians, from the people. And he ch- tries to use that to gather more political power. But Mossadegh um, and others uh, in the government thinks that he should just reign and not rule. So Mossadegh and some of the other parties get together and they build a coalition government called the National Front. And like you said, their number one priority was to nationalize the oil industry. Um, and there's going to be a gentleman who's the, who's the speaker for the National Front, Ayatollah Kashani who is going to play a big part in this role. Um, he's not exactly the nicest person in the world, and he wants Iran to become an Islamic state. And so he gets together with Mossadegh temporarily because they both they have, they have a common goal. They want to get rid of the Shah, and they want to nationalize the oil to keep all the money for themselves. But um, Kashani really wants Mossadegh to use his powers to make the country and Islamic state. And over the next couple of years, when that doesn't happen, he's going to turn on him and that's going to play a big part in what happens to Mossadegh. So at first they're allies, they're go, they're working t- in tandem, even though they're coming from very different backgrounds, but it's going to fall apart in the next couple of years. When you say they wanted to keep all the money for themselves, I think we have to remind people that the Iranians well, relative, are, yeah. are, are, are not very well off. Uh, you know, the, right. the Iranian country is still trying to pull itself in many ways into the 20th century, uh, trying to modernize. Uh, they, they've done, you know, they've made some movements in, in that regard, but still, they're, they're like yeah. most Arabian countries, including Saudi Arabia, which we'll get to shortly. These were very, very poor countries uh, until <laughs> until oil was discovered. These are yeah. big patches of mostly desert, uh, which didn't have a lot going for them. Even though, I mean, right. w- you and I know that back when uh, Alexander 
made his way into Persia in the sort of middle of the 4th century BCE, there was uh, it was a lot of wealth. But that was mostly because of the size of it and all those sorts of things. You know, in terms right. of... In terms of natural resources, they didn't have a lot going for yeah. them. They had some mining going on, but it was uh, at this stage the the discovery of oil had the potential yeah. to dramatically increase the quality of life in these countries, and the Iranians were being thrown just crumbs by the British. Literally, well, ironically, their own crumbs because it's their oil. And just real quickly, so like you said, they make the law May of 1951 to nationalize. And we cannot overstate how popular this made Mossadegh in his country. I mean, the people are finally getting a sense that we are controlling our own destiny. This is going to be huge for us. I mean, this man at this point in time could do no wrong. He's 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 beloved by everybody, and he's going to try to use that uh, that popular uh, that popularity to move forward. But having said that, the people in London, the people in other areas, don't care how popular the local leader is it, it factors not at all into their thinking. And so London is going to strike back hard um, at uh, Mossadegh. Yeah, and I, I want to make sure that we uh, explain the timeline clearly here too. It was in 1951 that the Majli voted to nationalise the oil. Mossadegh was an elected mm-hmm. prime minister until the following year in 1952. So uh, it's not like he was elected prime minister and suddenly decided to do this. The parliament had already decided to do this, right. and he was put in charge made of, it, you know, making it happen. Yeah. He made it quite clear that that was that was going to be his uh, priority number one. And so, yes, yeah, so you're absolutely right. He, he he rides that wave into power. So this is really interesting for London. So once this law is passed, London is looking at a couple options. They could stop oil production because, after all, they're the ones, you know, have the technology. They're the ones bringing it out of the ground. They could plan a coup. They could take military action. Or my favorite, a little potpourri, a little bit of everything from column A, B, and C. So we'll see what they happen. But what's, but the first thing they do is they stop oil production. So oil is going to stop coming out almost all of it, in May of 1951, and it's going to stay that way for a while. And as you can imagine, the um, Iranian economy, based as it is on oil, is going to absolutely go down on the drains. Tension's going to rise for everybody. There's going to be poverty. There's going to be people in the streets. So at first, um, London is trying economic pressure by stopping uh, bringing oil out of the ground. Yeah, and I just wanted to, before we get too far ahead, talk a little bit about who Mohammad Mossadegh was. He wasn't some young fire revolutionary firebrand uh who wanted right. to you know overthrow british control of the oil at when he was elected in 1952 he was 70 years old uh wow. he was he was a lawyer by background had been involved in politics though for many many decades he was in retirement uh before this um he'd mm. been an outspoken critic of the shah and a fighter for a secular uh, democracy and resistance to foreign domination of Iran for a very long time. Uh, he had mm-hmm. sort of got frustrated with the whole thing, gone into retirement, and then was you know, was called by the people basically to come out of retirement to help them through this difficult period. Um, and he, as prime minister, apart from the oil thing, he also introduced a range of quite uh, progressive social and political reforms. He introduced social security. 
He introduced land reforms. He introduced laws reducing the power of the Shah. Uh, so, you know, we're looking at a, a sort of a, an old, wise, Yoda-esque kind of character. He was, yeah, he's an interesting looking guy, very, very sort of bent over, uh, very, very slender guy, uh, not, not in very good health at the time. Um, wow. I, I've read some interesting stories. There's a great book um, called God damn it! What's that book called? <laughs> I don't <laughs> think that's the title. Uh, um, <laughs> I read this a few years ago. I've got to try. It's called All the Something Men. Um, All the Shaw's Men. That's I'm it. Making that up. No, Boom. I think. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed no, just- uh, All the Shah's men. Yeah. Good one, man. Yes. Kinzer's book. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And uh, Kinzer talks about the fact that uh, Mossadegh used to use his ill health to his advantage. He was a bit bit Columbo-ish about it. He'd be like, <laughs> oh, I'm this old, weak man. And, oh, I, I didn't hear that very well, Sonny. And then people, and then he would, tri- you know, he'd sort of, <laughs> he would use it to uh, get their defenses down. Then he'd, then he'd attack. Ha! Gotcha. I like that. Hey, just one more question before I leave. Um, (laughs) The kids out there don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Columbo, what? (laughs) Didn't he discover America in 1492? Yes. This is his great, 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 great grandson who wore a trench coat, who didn't flash people. Go look him up on YouTube. (laughs) Well, we don't know that he didn't flash people. That's in the reboot of Columbo. I don't know. You know, you know, the the television industry is thinking about you know rebooting Columbo because they're thinking about rebooting everything. Uh, everything. I, in the new version, he should go around flashing people. <laughs> hey, he, he leaves, he goes, oh, what, just one more thing before I leave. Well, hey! Take a look at this. Yeah. Um, they're like, what, I can't see it, you're 70 years old. By the way, um, just while I think of it... Um, <laughs> I did a podcast uh, many years ago with um, some guys that did an animated comic of uh, Operation Ajax. Um, Really? And uh, I'm just sort of trying to find it on my... uh, I'm Googling myself. Um, (laughs) Come on, you do that every day. Googling, Googling my podcast. Oh, there we go. Um, Some of the kids are calling it. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, shit. This is God. When was this, man? Oh, my God. Uh, if you if you want to know more about this whole thing, um, the Iran Mossadegh thing, Google No Illusions podcast number 43, Operation Ajax. Mm. Two guys, Daniel Berwin and Ash Iwas, I- 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 they uh, made an iPad app. And this is going way... I think this is like 2011, by the looks of it, I interviewed these guys. December 8, 2011. Um, Yeah, they did this really great sort of animated iPad app telling the story with a lot of uh, source documents and uh, it was really, really clever. Anywho, um, back to to Bosodek. So, yeah, he was an old, fairly ill guy. He he gave a speech in 1951, uh, just before he was made Prime Minister, explaining the oil nationalisation policy that I I just want to read a section of it. 
Our long years of negotiations with foreign countries have yielded no results thus far. With the oil revenues, we could meet our entire budget and combat poverty, disease and backwardness among our people. Another important consideration is that by the elimination of the power of the British company, we would also eliminate corruption and intrigue, by means of which the internal affairs of our country have been influenced. Once this tutelage has ceased, Iran will have achieved its economic and political independence. The Iranian state prefers to take over the production of petroleum itself. The company should do nothing else but return its property to its rightful owners. The nationalization law provide that 25% of the net profits of oil be set aside to meet all the legitimate claims of the company for compensation. It has been asserted abroad that Iran intends to expel the foreign oil experts from the country and then shut down oil installations. Not only is this allegation absurd, it is utter invention. So you remember when we were talking about Castro on the Cold War show, we talked about how when uh, the Cuban revolutionary movement uh, took over the government of Cuba, kicked out the dictator uh, Batista, um, mm-hmm. they offered to uh, buy the American companies out like United Fruit and, and yeah. AT&T, these companies that controlled nearly all of Cuba's uh, infrastructure. The... Um, the, the revolutionary government said, look, we, we want to take control of Cuba uh, for the Cuban people, but we want to buy you out. But we don't have any cash because Batista took it all. So, um, you know, give us 20-year terms and, and we'll buy you out. And the American yeah. company said, go fuck yourself. Um, so, and the British, British are going to do that a little later on in this story. Yeah, and so that's why... Again, again. That's why the revolutionary government ended up nationalizing it because they tried to negotiate a deal and were rebuffed and and they needed to get their enterprises up and running because everything shut down during and after the revolution so they were forced to basically take it over and run it and and but the way it was portrayed in america as oh these commies have come along and just taken everything that owns to that, that belongs to america and you know we need to go and fight them and kick them out and get our shit back right. and it was the same way uh 20 years earlier here well 20 yeah almost uh, how it's being portrayed, no, not even 20, what am I talking about? 10 to 9, 7, yeah, 50, 53 to 59, yeah, 6 years. How many fingers? <laughs> I haven't had enough coffee yet this morning, shut up. Um, uh, it, it, it's being portrayed the same way. So the Iranians were offering the British a deal. Look, basically mm-hmm. we want to buy you out. We'll set aside 25% yeah. of the net profits. Um, to meet all of the legitimate claims. Of course, the British told them to go fuck themselves. And as you said, uh, they the British then did a number of things. I mean, A, they stopped all of their oil production. B, they then set out to convince all the other countries of the world not to buy Iranian oil, and they doubled their productions in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. So basically, mm. they just set out to completely fuck the Iranian economy, and and they right. succeeded. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so uh, I don't want to stop your your story of, of the prime minister. Uh, let me know when I can mention something in November of fifty uh, two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go go ahead. 
Okay, so November of 52, the MI6 and the Foreign Office, Britain's Foreign Office, start to have conversations with the CIA. Now, before Eisenhower was president, there was Truman. Uh, but Truman, when they approached him, refused to be a part of the coup. Uh, one, uh, he was in favor of Mossadegh. Uh, two, he thought he was a good balance to the Soviet Union in the area. Obviously, the Cold War is going on there. And three, believe it or not, Truman was actually a little bit busy with uh, the Korean War. So he, he does want any part of this. However, when Eisenhower comes into power, uh, Eisenhower, even though he's the president, he can only go on what he is told, and he is told certain things that makes him nervous and, and makes him decide to take a different uh, path. Uh, he, he is told that uh, the people of the area are talking about nationalism. They, they want to ride the, you know, jump on the uh, great springboard of nationalism. Well, as we all know in America, when a white person says nationalism, that's something good and beautiful and bold, and if you're someone from a different country or a different color and you say nationalism, it scares the hell out of us and we want to stop you. Also, there was uh, there was rumors that the communists were going to try to infiltrate this nationalist movement and try to get in and take power. So now Eisenhower is uh, worried about that. So he decides to agree to let the CIA uh, get involved in this. Now, and, and, ju- and just one more, just one more thing before we go on. And even Mossadegh's plan, because you see, you were talking about he was trying to make he made several offers to the British. He said, look. In 1948, there was a compromise between the Venezuelan government and the Creole Petroleum Company. Like I said, we will split everything with you 50-50. It's our oil, but you've got the technology. So let's split this down the middle. Let's come up with, let's renegotiate the contract to make it more fair. The United States encouraged London to to accept the uh, agreement. But uh, again, London does not do that. Now, when you say London, who is the Prime Minister of England at the time? He must be a complete cunt (laughs) he was a short fat round pink piglet i'm not sure but he even he even takes he even takes uh, churchill even takes this one step further not only do they uh, try to blockade as much as they can anything coming out of iran he takes the country the government to the international court of justice in the hague and says look what they're trying to do they're trying to, to renegotiate without our consent this contract that we have with them. And the, and the Hague wisely says, oh, we don't have any jurisdiction here. Go figure that out and leave us alone. So again, Churchill is, he's, he's even older, he's crotchier, crotchetier, and he is pissed off. But this is the part that I love, and, and then I'll, and I'll stop here. I don't want to go too far. But Mossadegh has this brilliant plan. He goes, there's one thing on this planet that Churchill and the London government cannot control. And that's the Americans. So Mossadegh invites a U.S. oil man to Iran, and they say yes. Uh, Eisenhower's okay with it because he thinks he's about to get a lot of cheaper oil. Churchill is pissed beyond belief, but what is he going to do? He cannot say no. He cannot stop the Americans because the Americans have taken the lead in the Cold War. And everything at this point is all wrapped up in the context of the Cold War. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Churchill, Prime Minister of England, uh, and the MI6, the, you know, the British uh, James Bondy's uh, Secret Service, th- they basically want to overthrow the Mossadegh government, but they ask mm-hmm. Truman for help. Truman says no, but then they ask the newly formed CIA for help, and the CIA mm-hmm. are like, oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. 
We are down with this. The CIA, you know, had, had recently been created out of its predecessor, the OSS, and uh, they launched an operation kind of on the hush-hush. Uh, in many ways, I'm not even sure how much Eisenhower knew about what was going on. Uh, the CIA called it Operation Ajax, uh, SIS, uh, aka MI6 in England, knew it, referred to it as Operation Boot, as in mm. we're going to give Mossadegh the boot. <laughs> the boot. Uh, the boot. Um, <clears throat> now, Operation Ajax's leader was a senior CIA official, Kermit the Frog. <laughs> Hello, hello, everybody. It's Kermit the Frog here, reporting from Iran for Operation Ajax. Yay! <laughs> what the fuck? That was awesome. I thought it was a recording. Yeah, that was beautiful. I'm pretty good. My beautiful. Kermit's pretty good, man. I gotta say, you know. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I'd brag about that, but uh, what was it, what, what was Kermit's last name? The Frog. No, the, the human. Oh, the other one. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Junior. Uh, his middle name was Roosevelt, <laughs> Kermit Roosevelt Jr. Yeah, yeah, Kermit Roosevelt, grandson of U.S. President Teddy Roosevelt, Teddy. was the guy in charge of Operation Ajax. And look, we're not going to go into the whole thing in detail. We are going to go into Aww. it in detail, I think, in the Cold War show when we get up to 1953. Because uh, it's a long and tawdry story, but essentially, yeah, I just wanted to Nothing do. Nothing to be proud of. Yeah, well, I want to do the high level version of it uh, today, if that's all right, because we've sure. got a lot to get into. But basically, um, in 1953, the CIA, with the help of bribes to Iranian politicians, soldiers, mobs, criminals, newspapers, with support from the British Secret Service organized a series of riots uh, w- which they then blamed on Mossadegh and said that mm-hmm. Mossadegh was aligning himself with the communists and the communists were taking over Iran and it gave the Shah an excuse to remove Mossadegh. Um, and f- f- first, there was a coup to try and remove Mossadegh, which failed. Right. And the Shah uh, got the fuck out of the country, went and hid out in Iraq. <laughs> And hit out in Baghdad for a while. Um, but, you know, and, and again, without going into too much detail, this is a classic example of how the CIA has uh, operates. You know, they, they, they created riots in the streets but used their influence, and their influence was basically large suitcases full of cash, that right. they used to bribe all sorts of tawdry people, including the newspapers over there. And, of course, the American newspapers and the British newspapers went along for the ride. Basically sold, this, Times, sold, sold this completely fake narrative saying that uh, it was the communists that were causing the riots and Mossadegh was in league with them. It was complete and utter bullshit. It was all run by the CIA. And, that, by the way, if you're sitting there thinking this is a conspiracy theory... The CIA admitted to this, um, but the U.S. denied the fuck out of this until the 90s. I think it was Mm -hmm. when Madeleine Albright was Secretary of State under Bill Clinton when the U.S. finally said, yeah, yeah, we did do that, yeah. Um, That that was us. It had been been known by 
historians uh, for a long time. But uh, officially, the US yeah. denied it for 40-odd years, as did the British. No! What? Us? No. You're crazy, conspiracy theorists. We're Americans. Yeah. White hat. Us overthrowing democratically elected governments. Are you crazy? No. You've got uh, us confused with... Yeah. So anyway, the first coup failed. The Shah left the country. Then the CIA sent Major General Norman Schwarzkopf Sr. Hmm. Heard that name before. Father of Storm and Norman. Yeah. Who was made famous in the first Gulf War. I actually read his autobiography when it came out, man. That's uh, how right wing I was in the 90s. Um, wow. It's a good book, actually. I, I recommend it. Um uh, they sent uh, his dad, Big Norman, uh, to Iraq to persuade the Shah to come back. Look, dude, don't be such a chicken shit. We've got your back. I got your back. Yeah, we yeah. got your back. So um, he he trained the forces, the uh, Savak S A V A K forces that would uh, help the Shah hold the power. But my favorite part of all of this was uh, when the United the CIA pretty much said to the Shah, who wasn't sure about going along with this early on, "Look, if you do not sign these two decrees that that one that got rid of Mossadegh and the other one that promoted someone else." Um, we will depose you. We will get someone else in here and they'll sign it. And supposedly for the rest of his life, the Shah was just in absolute awe of the power of the United States. So they pretty much had to twist his arm as well. But my favorite part is when, uh, when um, the Shah is coming back to Tehran, who's riding in the plane with him? I don't know who. Alan Dulles, the director of the CIA. Of He's literally right. He's like, no, it's going to be fine. No, I'll stay in the plane when you get out. It would look bad, but it's going to be fine. We've got someone to train your security troops. We are going to take care of you like you're going to take care of us. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, oil. Yeah, and Savak was basically the Iranian version of the uh, you know, the KGB or the NKVD under Stalin mm-hmm. or um, the Stasi in East Germany. This was a brutal internal security police that were trained by the Americans, trained by Norman Schwarzkopf and the CIA. USA! USA! Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Um, So, uh, you know, but it wasn't the entire American administration that uh, went along with this. As always, it's it's rarely across the board agreement. Even the the Undersecretary of State at the time, Walter Bedell-Smith, said... Whatever his faults, Mossadegh has no love for the Russians and timely aid mm-hmm. might enable him to keep communism in check. So on one hand, you've got the Undersecretary of State saying Mossadegh doesn't love the communists. Um, on the other hand, you've got the CIA saying Mossadegh's in league with the communists. <laughs> He's got to go. Yeah. So, Jeez. But, you know, the CIA went along and continued the operation Anyway, eventually the Shah seizes the opportunity, uh, issues an edict to forcefully remove Mossadegh from power, and uh, his his man, again supported by the Americans, General Fazlollah Zahedi. Mm-hmm. Um, he liked a heady. Uh, he liked a. He- <laughs> That's why he was called Zahedi. No, don't get a jihad on us. Zahedi. Oh, I don't think there's going to be any jihads against General okay. Zahedi, mate. The, the right. uh, Ayatollah doesn't like General Zahedi. That's true. Uh, he led tanks into Mossadegh's house. What? 
what? And How do you get through the door? <laughs> Turn them on their side. You know when you try to get a bed through a door or a lounge where you tip it. That's what they do with tanks. You got to tip them on the side. Go go vertically. <laughs> Through don't, there. don't scratch that. Yeah. Don't, don't you scratch that. Are oh, you talking about the tank, sir? Yeah, I'm talking about the tank. Yeah. We just got, we just bought that from the Americans. Don't scratch it. Hell, they gave it to us. They fucking gave it to yeah. us. So they arrested him um, and on the 21st of December 1953 as an early Christmas present, he was sentenced to death. Oh. But his sentence was later commuted to three years solitary confinement in a military prison. He was 71, man. Yeah, followed, what's he going to do? Followed by life in prison. <laughs> you mean the next couple of years? He was kept under house arrest at his residence uh, for 13 years. Netflix and chill, baby. Until he died age 83 in 1967. Damn. Did nothing, this guy, apart from try and uh, negotiate a better deal over the yeah. oil revenues for his country. Completely fabricated lies about riots uh, and his links to communists by the British and the Americans. And... Uh, you know, kept in prison f- during his, you know, the last 13 Rest years of, of his yeah. life. Man, like that kind of shit. That's, now. That's fucked up. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, it doesn't stop there. So, but I just want to say, that's what happens when you cross the freedom-loving British. And Winston Churchill, champion of democracy and freedom. Winston yeah. Churchill, champion, mm. beloved. Yeah. His fucking bust in the White House. Loved by people all around the world, unless you actually know something about him. And then you go, he was a racist, imperialist dickhead. Yeah. Uh, anyway. And you forgot to mention that the Shah went on to rule for another 26 glorious years taking care of his people. Yeah, well, I'm getting to that. Okay. So, so now they have a pro-Western Shah and a pro-Western Prime Minister, General Sahedi becomes the Prime mm-hmm. Minister. Iranian oil begins flowing again, uh, and the Anglo-Iranian Yay. oil company changes its name in 1954 to British Petroleum. Because we don't have to even pretend that, you know, we're, we're in it with the Iranians we're anymore. Now we're British Petroleum. Um, but public opinion was so opposed to it that the gov- the new government, the even the General Zahedi's government, couldn't let them get away with just uh, running rampant because even though they had done this to Mossadegh, the people knew what the fuck was going on. The people were yeah. dumb. They already uh, understood the writing. Um, so under pressure from the United States, British Petroleum was forced to accept membership in a consortium of oil companies that was uh, incorporated in 1954 called IOP, Iranian Oil Participants. Because <laughs> um, participants is such a, a, a nicer word than oligarchs or um, yeah. uh, conspiracies. Like CJ conspiracies. is better than circle jerk. Yeah. <laughs> and that included uh, British Petroleum, Gulf Oil, Royal Dutch Shell, and Compagnie Francaise de Petroles, later called Total SA. British Petroleum had 40%, and the rest split the rest between themselves. 
But then uh, there were four American oil companies that had a stake in it as well. Standard Oil of California, SoCal, mm-hmm. later called right. Chevron. Standard Oil of New Jersey, later known as Exxon. Standard Oil mm-hmm. Company of New York, later Mobil, and then ExxonMobil. And Texaco, they each held an 8% stake in the company. So the Brits, mm. the Dutch, the French, and the Americans... Um, all get a slice of the action because that's how it works. When you when you help clean up, you know, uh, right. get rid of a democratically elected government, uh, either <laughs> you know directly with the CIA or indirectly by the others by kind of covering the whole thing up, you get to get a share of the profits. Um, Absolutely, and every, everyone's happy except the people you fucked over. Um, th- right. This group of companies uh, at various stages. If you read about the oil history, you'll hear them referred to as the super majors, or the Seven Sisters, or the Consortium for Iran Cartel, and they go on to dominate the global petroleum industry up until the oil crisis of the nineteen seventies. At which point, the Seven Sisters controlled about 85% of the world's known oil reserves. <clears throat> Damn. Power. So they fucked over Mossadegh and the Iranian people and got to control you know, nearly all of the oil in the world as a result. So follow-up question, the Iranian people? Very happy about this arrangement. Very, very happy. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> No, I've, no, but to literally to literally go from Mossadegh saying we are going to nationalize this, and you can just only imagine the euphoria on the street. Yeah, to what really happened. Yeah, and as you indicated before, the the Shah Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, very very brutal uh, ruler of the country for the next twenty uh, odd years, very unpopular, but is kept in power by his uh, savak. Military police, um, uh, again, supported and trained by the Americans. Um, Mm -hmm. He's seen by the Iranians as just another brutal dictator put in place by a non-Muslim Western power, this time mostly the United States, keeping him in power rather than the British. Um, He does... You know, improve the standard of living in ways in Iran, a bit like Saddam did in Iraq, even Stalin, uh, Hitler. You know, these sorts of dictators do modernize their countries in many ways, but, you know, it, it's a, a, a cost of oppression and repression of their people. Um, uh, but And he was a secular Muslim as well. So Iran was a relatively secular society. And, and as I indicated mm-hmm. before, this wasn't something that he did. Even before him, Mossadegh was a se- pushing for a secular government as well. This isn't something that Absolutely. Reza could take credit for. But it's interesting, I think, for people to realize that Iran, up until the late 70s, was a relatively secular country. But, of course, because of that, because Reza was secular... Uh, the the clergy of Iran, the Shia clergy, um, mm-hmm. you know, weren't very happy about the way it was going. They wanted uh, more of a religious-based government, more of a theocracy. They wanted uh, more Sharia law uh, included. 
And uh, there was, you know, he was obviously extremely corrupt. Uh, his family was corrupt and all of this kind of stuff. So that combined with the general suppression of political dissent by Savak led to general unrest. And I read that in 1978, according to official statistics, Iran had 2,200 political prisoners. Jeez. I don't know if that's a lot. Sounds like a lot to me. How many political prisoners do you think the United States has now? Well, we do it right in America. We actually have actual prisoners. Most of them are probably not a direct threat. They probably were selling pot. Um, so we have a lot more, and we're about to privatize our, our prison system again under Trump, which is another show we should probably talk about in the future. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty fucked up over here. Before we go for any further, I'd like to introduce a new segment into the uh, show called Smack Talk, where I become the pro-American yes. uh, part of the show. Oh, yes, and that's what I we say need. To you, Everything we just talked about tonight is okay. It's good because America was supporting its ally, Britain, in the Cold War. We had to keep that territory under our control so the communists couldn't get in. And we most certainly had to keep the oil flowing to us to not only keep it from the Russians, but to sell it and to make money. Because, you know, it cost a lot of money to run a Cold War when you're trying to run the other guy into the ground. So America needed that area and its resources not to be up for grabs to the evil godless communists who want to take over the world and rape your daughters. In all seriousness, uh, you've got a degree in history. How much about all of this uh, overthrow of Mossadegh did you know about until you started talking to me on a regular basis? Not much. Yeah. Not Did much. you learn? Yeah, I focused on World War II. Yeah, right, right. It's not your area, but yeah. still, you must you must have picked up something about yeah. Iran oh, yeah. just through yeah, yeah. osmosis. Did you pick up any of this? Did you have any idea? Just right. That America just the over American th- version. Any just the idea that- No, right. good God, no. Yeah, good God, no. No, it was it was all about. Uh, uh, yeah, um, basically what you were saying that um, it was the communists. We were trying to stop the communists from they want to take over the area. We had to get in there. You couldn't trust Mossadegh. Um, the Shah was our guy. And he does become a staunch ally, not, not that he has a choice, of the United States for the next 26 years. So he does keep that area away from the communists. And that's one thing that drove me crazy about Reagan. You can be a brutal dicta- dictator and we'll support you. But as long as you're not a communist brutal dictator... We're okay with that. So that's just, but that's just a topic for another day, obviously. But yeah, I just heard the American version where what we were doing was right because we were the ones doing it. Dude, it's not just Reagan. I mean, that's right. No, but and it's not just American. I mean, that's you know, as we oh yeah, sure, sure. We've talked about this many times in our various shows, but uh, that's the way. Not picking on America. That's the way imperialists work. We don't really care what you do as long as you give us what we want. We will continue when to support you. Yeah, at the right price, and and we will overlook uh, your human rights record. We'll overlook pretty much everything, and ignore it, and tell our media not to talk about it very much, unless you run afoul of us, and then we're going to make a big fucking deal over your human rights Shit records. Shitstorm, yeah, shitstorm. That's right. Yeah. How dare, how dare you, how, sir? Yes. treat your people like that. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, as late as the 28th of September, 1978, 
The Defense Intelligence Agency in the US reported that the Shah is expected to remain actively in power over the next 10 years. Because Yay. they had their finger on the fucking pulse, these Americans. They, they, <laughs> you know, the Defense Intelligence Agency, man, crack, crack team of experts on the Middle East. Just crack team. They're like the brightest of the brightest end up working for to U.S. intelligence, every day, man. Taking notes. Yeah. They know what's going yeah. on. Uh, of course, at the time, he was terminally ill with prostate cancer, which he had been mm-hmm. diagnosed with God's punishment. four years earlier. But uh, right. the Americans didn't even know that. They, they didn't even know that he was dying of prostate cancer. because uh, they. How does ass cancer escape your note? Never mind. They're puppet dictator, and they have no idea what's going on. Um, yeah. And then in 1979, Iran, of course, had a revolution, mostly non-violent, although several thousand protesters were killed by the Shah's government. Um, there were massive yeah. protests, general strikes. The spiritual leader of the revolution was a Shia cleric, the Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini. Um, he'd been out of the country for a decade, and he comes back. Kicked the, out. The U.S., now under Carter, uh, wasn't really sure what to do. They they thought about supporting pro-American members of the military to stage a coup and kind of replace the unpopular Shah and the unpopular government with a more popular pro-American puppet government. Um, mm. But... yeah. They ended up believing that the Ayatollah Khomeini would implement a democracy and that it would all be good because they would be able to uh, bribe enough people to make sure the democracy went in their direction. (laughs) So they kind of stayed out of it and let the revolution take its course. Oh, look, we have it on good authority as the U.S.'s intelligence experts, uh, President Carter, that uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini loves democracy Loves it. Loves freedom. Loves democracy. It's all going to be okay. You know, we... <laughs> yeah, I, I, Look, I know we told you last year that the Shah was going to be in power for the next 10 years. Yes, we did do that. Yes. But that was us. Look, we. it wasn't a mistake. It was just faulty intelligence is what it was. Alt intelligence. Yeah, alt intelligence. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it wasn't a mistake. Yeah. Don't, don't, no, no, we didn't get it wrong. No, that wasn't no, wrong. It wasn't wrong. It just wasn't right. It just, There's a difference. Yeah, it just wasn't right. Let's, let's, yeah, let's get that straight. So, and, but this time, Khomeini, democracy, yeah. Look, we are, yeah, we, we, we this it. time, yeah. <laughs> Slam dunk. Slam dunk. And of course, uh, which is what the, yeah. Yeah. So I was going to say slam dunk was the phrase used by uh, the people in um, Bush's White House saying about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. So slam dunk goes a long way back in America. That was actually, I think, the official title of letting Khomeini come into power. They called it Operation Slam Dunk. (laughs) Slam Dunk. should have. Yeah. Was the one thing I enjoyed was that he was in Paris and the newspapers were making a big deal of him. His son had died under suspicious causes. The um, the government back in Iran was saying it was a heart attack. Khomeini blamed the Savak forces, the special forces, or whatever. So the spotlight is on him. He's in Paris and he uses the press, the freedom of the press, to his own purposes by saying, "Yes, I'm for this. I'm for this. I'm for this." And the news through the CIA getting back to the White House was, "Look, when yeah, let's bring him back." 
back. That's okay. No big deal. He's just a talker. Whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. He will be a figurehead, but we will have a secular government here. We'll put him in charge and make the people feel good. It will distract him, but we will get. We will go on running this country and being your allies. So from both ends, the Carter administration is like, you know, how bad can it be? This is the theme song for Operation Slam Dunk, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Do you think the kids of today have any idea what that is? No. No, no they don't. They don't. Go look that up on YouTube, kids. Yeah. Harlem Globetrotters, kids. Jesus Christ. They, kids. Yeah. Make it ball disappear. Millennials. Confuse the hell out of you in 10 seconds or less. Goddamn millennials. Speaking of millennials, yeah. my wife's not one, but um, yeah. we were watching a movie last night, The Nice Guys, Russell Crowe. Uh, Ryan Gosling oh, yeah. buddy film uh, from last year. Not, not not too bad. Written by Shane Black, and I said to her, you know, it's written directed by Shane Black. He wrote the uh, original Lethal Weapon movie. She said, "Yeah, I've never right. I've never seen Lethal Weapon." <gasps> I know, I know. I said, <laughs> "She has to leave the house seriously until she sees it, and only then can she come." Seriously, in. grounds for divorce. I said, yes. "If you had told me when divorce. we met." That you hadn't seen Lethal Weapon. I, I seriously, uh, you know, I would have... She goes, look, I was seven when it came out. Like, back the fuck <laughs> off. Well, uh, I don't know. I was, I, I was seven years old growing up in a Mormon home in Utah. Uh, still, still, you know, you've had a lot of years since then to watch it. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's what we're doing tonight. Lethal Weapon, baby. I'm getting too old for this in. shit. Yeah. That was when Mel Gibson was on the good side. Oh, Mel Gibson was a complete fucking badass man back then. Now he's crazy old, you know, Nazi. Catholic Catholic Nazi. Nazi. Yeah. Uh, Anywho, uh, back to the Khomeini. So, so, uh, he gets into power and, and takes the opportunity to put into place an Islamic government ruled by a Shia concept called the Guardianship of the Jurist. The jurists and Shia, as I understand it, are guys that get to decide, uh, based on their study of the Quran and the Hadiths, what uh, you know, what the law should be, how it should be. They're sort of the the Supreme Court, basically, the Supreme Court judges in a yeah. Shia country. And the Ayatollah, in case people are wondering, uh, that the, it's a title. It's the um, title of like the highest ranking member of the Twelver. Uh, clerics that I right. mentioned in the last episode, that's the, the, the main form of uh, Shia Islam are the Twelvers, or the Twelve uh, e- original Imams, etc. So anyway, um, basically the Ayatollah ended the two and a half thousand year old monarchy mm. and created a theocratic government. Now, obviously wasn't the Pahlavi monarchy going back that far. Uh, as listeners right. to our Alexander the Great show will realise, the uh, monarchy went back to Cyrus the Great, Cyrus, Cyrus, nice. however you want Cyrus, to say it. Yeah, the Great. The Great back in like the 6th century BCE, I guess. And then it, after the Persians were defeated by Alexander, it moved on to Alexander and then 
Seleucid. Seleucid. Yeah. And then after the Romans came in, uh, into power, mm-hmm. yeah, it became, mm-hmm. you know, it goes to the Parthians, etc. And then, and then, you know, it was taken over. We had the, the sort of the Ottomans and all that kind of stuff. But basically, he, he implements a theocratic government. Um, the Shah went into exile and ended up in the US, supposedly to have cancer treatment. And, of course, the uh, right. U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency was like, what, cancer? I didn't. I mean, oh, it's too bad. Sorry. He said, I fucking told you I had cancer. They said, oh, I thought you said you were a cancer. And, you know, I was saying I'm a Libra. He's a Capricorn. Oh, really? I'm a cancer. Oh, we mis- I'm a cancer. <laughs> we misunderstood Where'd that. You, we thought you were talking about your... Would you learn your English? Enjoy easy. I got cancer. <laughs> that's pretty good, man. That's that's as good as my Kermit. I put that up there, man. <laughs> Thank you. Um, smack talk, a segment smack talk again. Back talk, whatever. I just called it a couple minutes ago. Um, if these guys, if, if the Ayatollah Khomeini is in there and he is judging people based on their knowledge of these older documents um what does that say about the direction of the society that 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 it's going to go in and how does that affect the women of iran oh i don't want to get into all of that let's let's stay out of that okay and that's that's a fucking all right. you know yeah i mean Quagmire. yeah 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 we, we, we don't want to get down too deep into islam and its treatment of women i think we let's yeah. let's let's keep it high level dude that's fine yeah Okay, that's fine. That's Obviously, fine. So I have four daughters. Cam is interested in one of them, uh, so these things are always on the tip of my on the, on the tip of my tongue. So I apologize. <laughs> Which one am I interested in? <laughs> Rachel. Oh, I, she's smoking hot. But come on, dude, not don't don't put that out there. That Cam's interested in her shit. You get me in all sorts of trouble if that that so, word gets out. Okay. I'm interested in marrying off Fox to one of your younger two, but uh, we're going to work that out. That's purely just, you know, arranged marriage stuff, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to see tax returns for the last five years, but I'm sure we could work something out. Foxes or mine? (laughs) Uh, Not not Foxes. Um, And Chrissy can't come to the wedding until she sees the movie. Yeah. Oh, shit, man. She's not allowed back in the house until she sees the movie. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, he the Shah ends up uh, in the in the U.S. The Iranians uh, demand that they send him back so he can stand trial for his crimes. Mm. Uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. goes, no fuck off. He's our dictator, and we will protect him. So that leads uh, some young Iranian revolutionaries to storm the U.S. embassy in Tehran. Uh, the infamous Iran hostage crisis where 52 American diplomats and citizens were held hostage uh, from the 4th of November 1979 to the 20th of January 1981. Damn. 444 days. Uh, It stands as the longest hostage crisis in recorded history Unless you count Julian Assange being held hostage in the Ecuadorian embassy by the British, uh, which is longer, I think. But uh, there you go. Damn. And there was, of course, some failed rescue attempts by the US, um, which the Iranians took as divine intervention. And then in September of 1980, in the middle of the hostage crisis, the Iraqi military under a guy called Saddam Hussein (laughs) says here in my notes... Um, who was another secular Muslim uh, and supported, of course, by the United States, invaded Mm -hmm. Iran, 
beginning the Iran-Iraq war. Do you want to? Yeah, either, I mean, he must have thought. That, I mean, for him, there could have been no downside. These are my mortal enemies. I am backed by the United States. The United States could not be more angry at this country because of the well, hostage well, situation. Yeah. Sorry. Well, why were they his mortal enemies? Uh, um, the different Sunni and Shia. I'm trying to remember. Mm. I just assumed. Well, yeah, he was a secular Muslim, really, Saddam. Right. We're talking about his supporters, but yeah. Yeah. I see, I see what you're saying. Well, I see what you're saying. You know, I, I I mean, I think it was a land grab. It was an opportunity. No, to, that, that doesn't sound right. Just because they have all that oil? I don't... Yeah, that, I don't and know. it was more than that. So it was partly based on politics. Um, the Ayatollah, when he came into power, urged the Iraqi Shia, which was the majority of Iraq, to overthrow right. the Ba'ath Party. Oh that Saddam was part of, because Saddam was running a, a secular government. So Khomeini urged the Shia in Iraq to rise up like they had in Iran and overthrow Saddam. It was basically like the uh, the, 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 the fucking, what have we had over the last few years in the Middle East? The, the flower movement, it's not the flower movement, what's it called? <laughs> Arab Spring. Yeah, Arab Spring. What did I get? Flowers. I guess spring flowers. Oh, fla- you know that? Oh, that's cute. Flowers. I like yeah, that. yeah. The Arab Spring. Um, it was like rise up, overthrow. Um, but you know, so Saddam was fighting against that. But also, uh, you know, if he was able to invade Iran, he would enlarge Iraq's already sizable petroleum reserves and make Iraq the dominant oil power and military power in the region. So it was... Mm. And again, he, you know, for people who don't know, Saddam was supported very heavily by the United States throughout this period. Uh, you know, they, they sold him all sorts of horrible weapons, including shit like mustard gas. Mm-hmm. That's why when they, they, you know, went in to invade him in the Iraq war, uh, or the Gulf War first and then the Iraq war, they said, Saddam's got mustard right. gas. We have to take him down. How do you know? We sold it to him a couple of years ago. Oh, well, in our defense, do you know what the markup on mustard gas is? Oh, Very easy to make, extremely yeah. expensive. Yeah. Made a shit ton. Yeah. So um, so the war, the Iran-Iraq war lasted eight years, resulted in the deaths mm. of over a million people, including at least 200,000 civilians. Damn. Now, keep in mind, uh, dear listeners, that even though a lot of Americans and, and Australians and British and whoever else is fucking listening to this, Canadians, uh, those of us that grew up in the West with the pro-Western media may be ignorant about a lot of the facts regarding the overthrow of Mossadegh and the US support of the Shah and the US support of Saddam. Right. The Iranian people themselves were not ignorant about any of these things. <laughs> So if you want to know why the Iranians can be a little bit antagonistic towards the American government, not the American people, I should say. Every time I read interviews with Iranian people, they say the same thing as the Cuban people say. Listen, we've got no beef with the American people. We know they're all generally nice and generally dumb. Uh, It's their governments and the actions of their governments and the military industrial complex that we have an issue with, not the people. We don't. We don't mind the people. People are lovely people. Yeah. Same with me. Right? I, I get accused by people like my old friend David Markham of being anti-American. Dude, I fucking right. married to an American. 
Two of them. Right. Chrissy and, and Ray. You know, uh, I, 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 lo- I love me some Americans. You know, as, as I as you know, as they're they're nice and generally pretty dumb. I mean, they're they're lovable, but <laughs> we are, we really are. But live and let live. I'm not including my wife or you in that. Well, you, but not my wife. I'm not including my wife in that. Um, wow. Yeah, you chose her over me. Well, you know, she gives out That's more fine. than more often than you do, buddy. I mean, you know. I'm older. You do anyway. Please, continue. you're into more anal play than she is. I will say, but <laughs> but she's got a. I'm not going to go get a rabbit hole. She got here. skills. She got skills. <laughs> I never will leave it there. She's got parts you don't have that you know I, I prefer. <laughs> anyway, back to back to <laughs> the Iranians know all of this shit. So overthrow Mossadegh. Right. A, a million people dead in a war encouraged and supported by the US. Um, so, yeah, like the, the Iranians have grievances, folks, grievances. Yeah, real now, ones. after the invasion, and then, and then even though I don't believe the Iranians have actually been trying to build a nuclear weapon, the Americans are like, oh, the Iranians are trying to build a nuclear weapon. No fucking shit, Sherlock. <laughs> no shit. I would be trying to build a nuclear fucking weapon to use against you as well if you started a war through a proxy yeah. that resulted in the deaths of over a million of my people. Yeah, I'd be like, let's build a fucking nuclear bomb so they can't try that shit again. No kidding. But yeah. the way it's always portrayed, though, yeah, is, oh, the Iranians want to build a bomb because, you know, they're the terrorists. Oh, they're really? Oh. They're the terrorists. Which countries have Iran, has, has Iran invaded recently? Please tell me, somebody. <laughs> Oh, but they sponsor Hamas. Really? Yeah. And what, yeah, what are you fucking... Sp- anyway, let's not get started on that. Um, we'll get to that. I, I want to finish this story because we're getting up to an hour and we're yeah. not even done. So yeah. um, after the invasion, the Iraq invasion, the Iranians entered into negotiations with the US for the release of the hostages, and this resulted in the Algiers Accords, which went to, into effect the day before Ronald Reagan's inauguration in 1981. Do you, what a coincidence. Well no, well, no, they went into effect the day before his inauguration. Yeah. Um, but didn't take effect until after or, or the day of his inauguration. Um, and it's there's a whole bunch of conspiracy theories around this. Um, right. do you have do you have any detail on the Algiers Accords? No, I, and I and I barely remember it as a very young person. Uh I just remember a lot of people were overwhelmed uh, emotionally and happy that we were finally getting the people back, and yet pissed at the same time we wanted to go over there and bomb the hell out of everybody. Uh, but no, I don't have any uh, detail on that. Called for uh, the immediate freeing of the hostages, the unfreezing of $7.9 billion of Iranian assets, uh, and immunity mm. from lawsuits that Iran might have faced in America and a pledge by the United States that, and this is the quote, it is and from now on will be the policy of the United States not to intervene directly or indirectly, politically or militarily, in Iran's internal affairs. Damn. Like, A, do we need to actually spell that out in a policy? Isn't that like international law? Uh, we actually have to get no. you to sign an agreement that says yeah. that directly. Um, well, we're going to cross our fingers with the other hand anyway when we sign it, so it doesn't matter. 
Now, there are all sorts of conspiracy theories about why the hostages weren't released until the day of Reagan's inauguration. They were supposed to be released to Carter the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually flew over to, I think, Geneva or somewhere where they were supposed to be released. But uh, they weren't. The, the Iranians held them back. One theory is that the Iranians uh, were punishing Carter for his mm-hmm. perceived support of the Shah. Uh, another is another theory is that the Reagan incoming Reagan administration actually did a deal with the Iranians that they would get some kickbacks if they held it back. So literally, Reagan was sworn in. And then the hostages were released, so Reagan could claim it as a victory. And there was all this stuff about Carter was too weak to get the Iranians right. to do it, and it, it, it was the whole Gipper. It was the Gipper who uh, made now it happen. But the deals were signed when Carter was president. But Carter well, doesn't never perception get, that matters. Yeah, but he never gets any credit for it because they didn't take no. effect until Reagan was sworn in, like minutes later. Uh, but again, right. part of the whole bullshit Reagan mythology in the United States is that Reagan ended the hostage crisis, but it's complete frog shit. Yeah. Now that I heard as a, as a teenager, that I heard that uh, it, they were it was their fear of Reagan because yeah. he was going to be so tough. Yeah. That they'd better give him over. They were going to pay hell if they didn't. So yeah, no. So he literally started off hitting a home run. The American people going, "Oh, don't mess with us. We got Reagan now. He'll fucking he's crazy. He'll go after your ass." Yeah. So he started out brilliantly. Yeah. All mythology, my friend. Um, yeah. Now, another US ally, Bullshit. Saudi Arabia, also supported Iraq in the war against Iran. They sponsored militants in Pakistan and Afghanistan who were primarily fighting against the Soviet Union, who had invaded Afghanistan in 1979. But they were also suppressing Shia movements uh, that were being supported by Iran. Remembering, of course, that Saudi Arabia is a predominantly Saudi uh, country and particularly the royal family are involved very uh, heavily with a particular uh, branch of um, Sunni uh, known as the Wahhabi or Wahhabists, which we'll talk about more in the next episode. But one of the Saudi militants who was uh, fighting in Afghanistan, was a young chap by the name of Osama bin Laden. Not sure if I pronounced that correctly. Uh, in fact, Chrissy's always criticised by, I always say Osama bin Laden. She's like, it's Osama what? bin Laden. Uh, or, bin Laden. Oh, really? Like you fucking <laughs> speak Arabic? Um Bin Laden was a Sunni born to the family of billionaire Mohammed bin Awad bin Laden, who mm-hmm. was the wealthiest non-royal Saudi. He's a construction magnate. In, nine, in sorry, 2009, the bin Laden family was listed as the fifth wealthiest Saudi family by Forbes magazine with a reported net worth of $7 billion. Damn. The best thing to do is terrorist. Sorry. Sorry. But uh, I'm going to leave talking about Saudi Arabia to for our next episode because we've done over an hour. Mm-hmm. Any, any last comments you want to chuck in, Ray, before we uh, depart? 
Just again, uh, for, for some of you American listeners out there, again, this may be rather difficult to hear, to swallow, to process. Don't believe us. Don't take our word for it. Go look it up. This stuff's real. real. America has done things, uh, well, obviously, within a context, within a context of uh, supposed security, civil war, uh, cold war. But it did happen. We're not always the guys in the white hat. Uh, I'm not happy about it either, but it's better to know the truth than to you know, have bullshit in your ears. So uh, please go look it all up. Shit, <laughs> shit,